One of the great things about this church is your support for missions. This time of year we do host our annual March for Missions, and this offering goes to support three different aspects of taking the gospel. One here in Texas, one the North American Mission Board, and one the International Mission Board to the ends of the earth. And the vast majority of the funds that you will give freely and generously will go to support the gospel going to the ends of the earth, to the people who have never even heard the gospel, maybe not even have opportunity at this point to hear the gospel. But we're trusting that God will take these funds. Last year, uh, this church gave sacrificially and generously uh, to the tune of $179,000. So we met our goal. Yeah, you can be excited about that. Uh, our goal this year is, again, $175,000. And we are trusting God to work in our hearts so that we would give generously and cheerfully and sacrificially. And we are knowing, we are believing that uh, God wants to do great things through us, both to give, to send, and to go. Will you please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John and chapter 3. I've been reading a book called Cherish with a group of men uh, as a source of discipleship and accountability and encouragement. And one of the things in this book uh, is uh, the encouragement that we should regularly dwell on and meditate on the qualities of our spouse that we, that we love. We, we see God's grace in their lives. Uh, Cherish is written by a guy named Gary Thomas. He wrote a book called Sacred Marriage. Maybe you've heard of it. I would commend both books to you. But this exercise of dwelling on the things that we are uh, cherishing and praising God for in our spouse is a, is a good exercise. There's a lot of merit in this. It helps us to appreciate and be grateful for what God has given us. And I think about that regularly. Over the years, I've kept a list of different things that I'm so grateful to God for that I see in Amy. I see her character and her beauty and her gifting and her intelligence and her thoughtfulness and her integrity and her humor and her dependability. And yes, her patience. She puts up with me, right? I'm grateful to God for these things. And trust me, I could go on and on, as I know you could, about your spouse as well. It's a good exercise, but another good exercise, and one we're going to see today, is to regularly meditate on the love that God has for us. The love that God has for His children. In fact, this is what the Apostle John is doing in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1 and following. It's important for us to reflect upon God's love for us. Would you stand? We're going to read together in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read the first three verses. In order as we continue our study in 1 John, we're going to see... The great love with which we have been loved. The Apostle John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Will you pray with me? Father, we stand here amazed because we have sung of Your love. 
we have experienced your love and because we have opportunity to support your love, the message of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So we pray that even in these moments, as we prepare to partake of a Lord's Supper together, a clear expression of your love, God, I pray you would change us. I pray you'd make us like Jesus. We pray this for his glory and in his name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, the Apostle John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now this statement, this sentence is pregnant with meaning. It's rich with truth. It is bursting with emotion. If you were there in the mind of the Apostle John when he writes this, I'm sure it could not be contained as he wrote this about the love of God. He is just so enthralled. He's thrilled with who Jesus is, with what Jesus has accomplished for him. Now, consider the fact that throughout his gospel, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved or the beloved disciple. It is appropriate, friends, for us to regularly think about God's love for us. In fact, John is imploring us to see the love of God. In fact, that verb see is a command. He's not just saying, hey, listen, when you're down in the dumps, try thinking about God's love for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you can't make it in this life if you don't reflect upon, if you don't think about the love that God has for you. Meditate on it. Behold it. See it. Think about it. Remember it. Reflect upon it. Friends, isn't that what the author of the Psalms does throughout the Psalms? You know, we read the Psalms and we look for all of these different points and all the way they point to Christ. And and those are good things, right? But at the end of the day, the Psalms were simply and originally the reflections and the meditations of the psalmist. That's what he's doing. He's just reflecting on God and reflecting on his life and how they intersect and what God is doing. Let's turn together to Psalm 103, if you will. I just want you to see how the psalmist here is just reflecting on the love of God, on the greatness of God. I'm going to read several verses, so just let's start in verse 1 and just keep reading. Psalm 103. The psalmist writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. Verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I just want you to remember this. As a psalmist is writing that psalm, he is reflecting upon the love and the character of God. He is remembering. He is seeing he is continually dwelling on how this inter- intersects with his life. Friends, the first point that we see this morning is this. God's love is the foundation for our identity and worth. God's love is the foundation for our identity and our worth. Hear me. People are struggling to find their identity in any number of things. We want to find our identity in our possessions. We want to think that this makes us something. But then we realize it's empty. It's never enough. And we always want more. We try to find our identity, our security, our value in our relationships. But friends, then people let us down or we let others down and then everything crashes. We try to find our value and our identity in our performance. And friends, as good as many of you are, you're not good enough. So we become hopeless. The only thing to base our identity and value and security in is the love of God. Only His love is strong and sure enough to satisfy us and to fulfill us and to give us a basis in life. So John points us to the love of the Father. He points us to the love of God. He says, see what kind of love with which we have been loved. Literally, a translation of that is, of what country is this love? Of what origin is this love? This love is nothing like I've ever seen. It's nothing like I've ever experienced before. Where does this come from? That's what he's saying. He's saying, how could this be? He's saying God's love is beyond comprehension. It's not earthly. And friends, hear this. It's not earthly, but the love of God came to earth. Jesus Christ came to earth. And He became one of us so that we would understand, so that we would experience, so that we could embrace the love of God. So in reflecting on God's love, it's important to remember our past. It's important to remember who we were before God love before we experience God love before we responded to God's love right I mean scripture says in Colossians 1:21 that we were alienated from God and we were hostile in mind in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 we read that we were enemies of God and under his wrath in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 those who don't experience the discipline of God that would be us who are who are not disciplined as a father disciplines a son are illegitimate children John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, we were slaves, slaves of sin, not sons and daughters of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, we were children of wrath. John chapter 8, verse 44, we were children of the devil. 
This is what Paul is saying about all those who are apart from faith in Jesus Christ. There is no relationship with God. There has not been an experience of God's love. Yes, His general grace is available and it's for all, but there has not been the experience of His saving grace, His special grace. There is only brokenness. There is only hopelessness. We were at enmity with God. There is nothing in us, friends, that would cause us to be deserving of God's love. And friends, that's why God's love is so different. We look for admirable qualities in other people, and then we choose to place our love on them. But there's always some contingency there, right? It always depends on the qualities that we see in those people. Even in our most uh, intimate relationships, friends, we don't love perfectly, but, but God's love, friends, the second point is this. God's love finds us in our brokenness, our rebellion, and our sin. God's love finds us in our brokenness, our rebellion, and our sin. That's what Paul's writing in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. It's healthy to think back to the time when God saved us by his grace. It's healthy to magnify the love of God. Do you remember? Do you remember when you realized God's amazing grace and God's amazing love for the first time? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. You turned from a life of sin and you placed your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. He rescued you. He saved you. He gave your life meaning and significance and he promised you a future. See, through faith in Christ, you have been made a child of God. That's what the Apostle John's saying. Look, look at the Father's love. You are children of God. You are children of God, adopted into the family of God. Let me read for you in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Just a passage that should just, should just fill your heart with joy, friends. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Friends, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you are being led by the Spirit. And if the Spirit is in you, you are indwelled by the Spirit, then you've been adopted into the family of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. We are children because of our union with Christ through faith. And because Jesus is son, we are sons and we have the Spirit of Christ. And friends, it's not just that we're adopted. We were born into God's family. Or maybe we should say it this way. We were born again into God's family. Paul says it like this in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, that we've been given new hearts and that we've been made new through Christ by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, right? We are new creatures, new creations in Christ. Hear me. This is the next point. God's love stands behind our adoption and our new birth. 
God's love stands behind our adoption and new birth. This is the message of the gospel, friends. That while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God lavished His mercy and His grace upon us through Jesus Christ. When you give to support the, uh, the March for Missions, the Lottie Moon, the Annie Armstrong, the Mary Hill Davis offerings, state, local, and uh, local or state and national and international missions, you are supporting the gospel, the love of God being proclaimed to the nations so that others that have opportunity to hear and respond and experience what many of you have experienced become children of God. Now, after commanding us to contemplate the love of God, which makes us children, John instructs us to realize the blessing and hope that we have as God's children. Look again in 1 John chapter 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. So not only should we remember our past, but we should realize our future. Beloved, we are God's children now. And as God's children, we should experience and expect certain privileges, right? Some for now, some for later. God promises to supply for our needs according to His will. God offers peace and hope in the face of danger and uncertainty. But most important, as God's children, we have reconciliation with God, peace with God. We're no longer under condemnation and wrath, but we are secure in Christ. And friends, there's so much more to the Christian life than just the here and now, right? There's so much more. What we see next is this. God's love stands behind all blessings. God's love stands behind all blessings, past, present, and future. One thing that we have sung about this morning and we can be sure of is that there is victory in Jesus. That there is hope because of Jesus. We will be raised in imperishable flesh. We will be sinless as He is sinless. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. We read this moments ago. Paul says that we are heirs. Heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, what Christ gets, we get. What is true of Christ is true of us. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God. Friends, we are heirs of God's blessing, His hope, His love, His life, His holiness. Why? All because of our union with Christ through faith, according to the love and the grace of God. Let me just remind you, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, we will be as Christ is fully free from sin, a resurrected body, an imperishable body, perfect body, fully devoted to God. And because of this, John calls us to live as God's children now. That's what he's saying there in verse 3. 
Everyone who hopes in Christ purifies himself, right? Notice what he says. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he, as Christ, is pure. As God is pure. So we've made children of God. We have a great hope. And because of that, we live that way now. We live that way now. We don't live in passivity. But we live in full expectation of the appearing of Jesus Christ. And John calls us to purify ourselves. So how do we purify ourselves? Well, first we acknowledge that ultimately it's Jesus Christ who makes us pure. It's the work of Christ. He is behind all growth and godliness. It all depends on His grace. And it all depends on His Spirit. But here, John is pointing us to our role in sanctification. Our role in dying to sin, putting sin to death, and growing in righteousness. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1, Cleanse yourself from all defilement in flesh and spirit. In other words, as God's children, we are responsible to pursue righteousness. It doesn't just happen automatically, friends. As God's children, we are responsible to pursue righteousness. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. If by the Spirit, so it's all dependent on the grace of God, it's all empowered by the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In his book, Devoted to God, Sinclair Ferguson writes, look again at what Paul says in verse 13. It's not, let the Spirit put sin to death in you, but rather, you put sin to death. Yes, the Spirit enables us, Without Him we are powerless, but He never turns us into automations. He never relieves us of the responsibility of living for the glory of Jesus. He wants us to be holy, and holy people do holy things like putting sin to death. So friends, as children of God, today we battle sin in our lives. We avail ourselves of the means of grace in this battle uh, against sin. We remember the importance of the word of God. For Jesus says that purification and sanctification occurs through meditating on and applying God's word to our life. That's what he says in John chapter 17, verse 17, what we call the high priestly prayer. He says, sanctify them in truth. And then he tells us, your word is truth. And this means reflecting upon The gospel. This means reflecting upon the love of Christ, the love of God. On the fact that we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live, but he who lives in us. This life we live in the flesh, we live live by faith in the Son of God, who gave himself up for us. We've been baptized with him. We're no longer slaves of sin. We don't have to live in sin now. We've been set free from its power. We've been free to live for righteousness for the glory of God. So the last thing we see then is this, friends. God's love motivates our Holy Spirit-empowered pursuit of holiness. God's love motivates our Holy Spirit-empowered pursuit of holiness. Children of God, 
Remember your past. Realize your future. And live your present. And do so for the glory of God. Now church, I know of no more fitting way to bring this worship time to a close and to partake together of what the early church called the love feast. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity to proclaim God's great love and Jesus Christ's victory over sin and death. To proclaim His victory over sin and death. Because Jesus won the victory and because we are connected to Him through faith and we are made children of God, then this is our victory too. So we partake. Not as those who are living in fear, but as those who are more than conquerors in Christ. We do so, we partake as those who are presently reigning with Christ in the heavenly places. The one who sits at the right hand of God the Father. We do so as those who have been loved beyond comprehension and been given value and meaning in life through Christ. So we're going to take a few moments now and we're going to reflect upon God's great love and our responsibility to live for His glory. And then in just a few moments, we'll transition to the Lord's Supper.